Ladies and gentlemen, to say the least, the pizza is here. <laughs> Welcome back to the Pizza's Here podcast, season one, episode eight. Today we have a very, very special guest who I don't think needs any introduction, but we're going to give him one anyway. <laughs> Joe Beninati, the Cavs' very own since 1994, an absolute legend in the broadcasting industry, is here with us today. Say hi for me, Joe. Hi there. Season one, broadcast eight. You chose yeah, a very good yeah. number. Exactly. I said that the other day. Yeah, I said we it's only right that it's episode eight that Joe Beninati is with us. He knows. <laughs> he knows. Yeah. Well, Joe Beninati's here with us today. We uh we ran through a couple difficulties uh on my part on the first go around <laughs> trying to trying to do this. Uh, but we all know I set numerous alarms last night, so we are here. We are good to go. It's eight a.m. on a nice Monday morning, but we're ready to go. Um, we've compiled a list of some good questions for Joe Beninati today, and uh, we're just going to fire through these because time is limited, but we're just going to go through them one by one and let the man who we all want to hear talk. So our first question today is, uh, Joe B, please describe how the 2018 Stanley Cup run felt and what was it like? First of all, the pizza's here and it better have meatball on it. Ooh, let's ooh, let's meatball. let's just start with that. Not a bad take. Not That's a bad take. I'll, I'll say yes. I'll say yes. The I one like thing I too. learned about Tuka Rask in the playoffs was that he put pizza, or rather, he puts pickles on pizza. I you know, saw that. I, I mean, I just that. revolting. <laughs> <laughs> if the pizza is going to be here, it had better have meatball on it. All right. Um, 2018, kind of a good spring and early summer, I think you could say. Yeah. Um, 100%. How it how it turned out, how it for once our guys learned how to deal with adversity, punch it back in the nose, and get over the hump. I mean, I know that all of us as Caps fans are are thrilled that they managed the 2018 Stanley Cup championship. We're forever grateful for that. But I could sit there and tell you, you know, I might have thought that the 2016 team was better. I might have thought the 2017 team was better and, and maybe more equipped to win a Stanley Cup championship, but they got the one they, they, they did get in 2018, and they did it by overcoming an awful lot of hurdles and then believing in themselves and getting performances not only from your best players who have to be fantastic in any run like that, and they were, um, when you're talking about a Holtby or a Kuznetsov or a Ovechkin performance. But think about all the other characters that figured into that situation. And uh, Lars Eller comes to mind and Devante Smith-Pelly comes to mind. Oh, yes. You have all of those all of those factors. And, oh, yeah, by the way, aside from, you know, thinking back to when Nicholas hurt his hand in that playoff spring, they did have decent help. Sure, to play, you know, a month, six weeks, you're going to be banged up. They all were dealing with injuries, but nowhere near like what the team was going through at the end of this past current season, going into the playoff series with Boston, when you really, you couldn't give them much of a chance with the way they were banged up. And some of that stuff we could let on to the viewers, some of that stuff we're sort of sworn to secrecy on. So in that Stanley Cup run of 2018, it, it's a lonely feeling at the beginning of the playoffs, guys, because we, we get that amazing rally against Columbus and we're allowed to broadcast that round on NBC Sports Washington. And, and then we wave bye-bye to the guys and we, we hope that they go far. But you have to know 
personally that something like that hurts. Um, the fact that I and our NBC Sports Washington team could not put our spin, our thoughts, our words, um, our video sequencing to a Stanley Cup run is troublesome. I mean, it's I was so conflicted the night of June 7th, 2018, because I'm over the moon. I'm I'm happy as can be for the players, for the owners, for the coaches, for the fans, uh, that they're finally going to get this done, that they're actually going to be champions. But I was distraught because we couldn't put our spin on it. We couldn't put our final words to it. What might that last minute have sounded like if it was uh, on our air and if I did have the chance to to put words to it? And it's I'm not going to say that it's regretful, guys, but it's gosh, it it was so. Um, conflicting is the best word that I have for it. I was overjoyed at one point and then um, just down in the dumps at another because 20 years from now, you push play on those highlights and it's not Joe, Craig, Allen, and Al and everybody else involved in NBC Sports Washington. You're not going to hear our comments on it. And no, does it take it away from the championship? Absolutely not. But personally, it's a kick in the gut. But uh, it's one that I would gladly do again and again and again and again, just in the way that it's shaped up. But they were they were amazing at the right time. Um, I, I thought the best game they've ever played, maybe the best game I've ever seen them play, was Game Six against Tampa when they did what they did at Capital One with the fans roaring like they did. Uh, I knew they were going to go down to to Tampa and get it done in Game Seven. They did, and no disrespect to a Vegas team that I had been poo-pooing on the whole time. <laughs> I, I, knew, I knew they were going to get through, through Vegas even after losing game one. So, um, I'll, oh gosh, I'll never forget it, fellas. It's it's spots, so many memories. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, um, I guess adding on to that a little bit, I, I one thing about the, the cup run at the very end that I was a little disappointed by, and I think uh, Doc Emmerich, everyone agree, would agree, is, like a, is the legendary hockey announcer maybe. But I just felt like the call at the very end was a little anticlimactic from him. A little bit, yeah. So, like, I guess that would add on to the thoughts that you just said, like, that you didn't get to put your words to it. Because I think most Caps fans definitely would have loved to have heard that. can't even please imagine don't take, hearing don't take my that. Comments as, don't take my comments as a rip on Doc or, or NBC's oh, crew. Not at all. Um, fellas, honestly, Doc and Gary Thorne were the two guys who really helped mold my broadcasting style when I was first cutting my teeth in this business, they were two gentlemen who just happened to be connected with me in the state of Maine. Um, I was in the American hockey league in Portland, Maine with a team called the Maine Mariners. Doc had preceded me by a few years and the executives and bosses in, in Portland always said, Hey Joe, if you're going to do things right, do it like doc. And doc was amazing. Whenever I asked him for any sort of constructive criticism on my work, he gave it to me. Gary Thorne, uh, another spectacular voice, obviously, um, probably most noted for, for ESPN's hockey coverage, um, and, and just, you know, a booming voice of God. He, <laughs> he, he at the time, was at the University of Maine. Uh, he was studying for a law degree. Gary's an attorney. Really? And just doing incredible work with the University of Maine, went on to double-A baseball, went on to big league baseball. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. The Devils, and then the national call on ESPN. Gary was another one who, when I was in college, I was sitting in the same broadcast booth with him. You know, he was doing games for 
the University of Maine. I was doing them for, for the school that I went to, a Division three school called Bowdoin. Uh, both of those guys were phenomenal uh, helps to me. Not all, it was not like I was on the phone with them every day of the week saying, hey, what should I do now? Yeah. But I, I still have like me letters. With you. Yeah, I still have letters. Um, I still have letters and, and thoughts in my mind from them that really helped. You know, hey, Joe, you do this really well. Stay with it. Keep building on it. Hey, Joe, maybe not so much of this. Take this out. Move this around. Um, they were really helpful in, in, in getting me into a structure where I could perform. So, no, don't don't take my comments about 2018 as a shot at them. It's just I would have it's, – it's every announcer's dream to be calling the championship <clears throat> final minute. Yeah. And selfishly, I guess you could say, selfishly, I would have loved for it to have been me and Locker and Alan May and Al Coken on that kind of a call. You can absolutely right, be yeah. selfish about Definitely. that. Don't worry. Oh, <laughs> you can absolutely be selfish about that. <laughs> That's understandable. We understand. Like that's a huge moment, and everyone wants to have a shot at that. But we would love to hear that. But another thing about 2018 was the celebration, obviously. <laughs> um, and a lot of what we saw on social media, you see a lot. You want to see, you see the videos on Twitter. Jacob <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the fountain jumping in fountains and stuff. But what were some of your moment, uh, your favorite moments after the or during the celebration? I was kind of off camera and many people didn't really see during that summer of celebration. Uh, Jake, on camera, I'm sure you guys saw and still referenced the, the Jacob Vrana episode. <laughs> right. Now, yes. listen to me, boys. Um, most people think that I was hammered out of my mind in that uh, video. Um, there was one person in that video who was hammered out of his mind. It was the uh, former Capitals number 13. Um, and I, I, I love the guy. He, he's fantastic. Such a, such a great kid. Yeah. Um, we were, we were both happy in that video. Let's just say that. Yeah. And that video, um, preceded my favorite moment. You're asking me about my favorite off camera moment. Yeah. And I think you and your listeners are going to love this one. Um, remember now, I just said that Locker and I were not on the call in the conference final or the Stanley cup final. And, mm -hmm. Craig at that time was going through a really difficult time. His wife had just been diagnosed with this rare cancer and Locker was uh, at home base in DC during those last two rounds. He was offering uh, commentary pre and post game from Washington while the network had sent me to Tampa and sent me to Vegas. So Craig and I had been apart for about a month in that stretch. We had not seen the team since they had won the cup. Uh, the two of us really weren't in the same room to congratulate them or, or say hello or anything like that. As it would happen, um, I think it's the pretty it's the same night of the Vrana video, but uh, maybe a half hour or so after what you saw in the Vrana video, Locker and I were having dinner with his family um, at I think it was Nobu in D.C. Courtney Lachlan is on her phone and be bopping around through social media. Hey guys, the the cup is at. Uh, Cafe Milano that drove us over to Cafe Milano because Locke we haven't seen the guys let's go over and say hello and and congratulate them together we hadn't done that we hadn't seen the team together since they had won so we go over there and there's a thousand people outside the restaurant it was one of the <laughs> few times where the team wasn't allowing a lot of the fans to come in and be part of the celebration they wanted a moment to themselves they were up on I guess the third floor 
of the restaurant. Locker and I had to strong arm our way, talk our way through the Milano <laughs> security guys. Like, you know, can we just get up there? We just want two minutes with them. And we get up there, and boys, they're feeling no pain. This is the <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> and the Stanley Cup is there, and now you need a little backstory. I was, I've been involved in professional hockey at that time 30 years, including my American Hockey League time. Locker, obviously, a professional player who competed for the Stanley Cup. And we are both of the same school of thought. We were both trained, if you will. You don't win that cup, you don't touch that Stanley Cup. So I've been in the room with the cup hundreds of times as a professional in the last 25 years or so. I've taken pictures with it. I've never touched it. I, you don't touch that. Uh, I, first of all, as an announcer, in my opinion, you don't touch it at all. That's for the guys who bled and sweat and tore themselves up to win it. They get to touch it. You don't. You're a mouthpiece on TV. <laughs> you, don't, you should not touch that cup. Locker was trained the same school. Like, you know, you don't win it, you don't touch it. So Craig had never touched the Stanley Cup prior to this night. We walk into that room. The guys are having a great time. We're congratulating. We're high-fiving. We're hugging them all. I see the cup. I'm looking at it. I'm like, fellas, this is fantastic. So happy for you. John Carlson stands up and goes, um, Joe, pick it up. And I'm like, oh, no. No, 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 John, I, I can't do that. But thank you so much. This, this means really a lot to me. But no, 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 thank you. Congratulations again. Tom Wilson stands up. Joe, pick it up. Uh, Tom, I can't. I just. You're not saying not, no to him. It's not, for, it's not for me. Guys, one by one by one, they all stand up. And it was like a scene from Dead Poet Society where the where the students recognize the, the, the teacher character one by one by one. They all got on their desks. Pick it up. Pick it up. Pick the effing thing up. <laughs> and I gave in and I did. And it's about 35 pounds. Most of the weight is in the ass end of it. I picked it up chest high. And I, again, I use the word conflicted. I'm like, oh, oh, my life. I've been taught that I'm not supposed to do this. But I did, and then I watched Craig pick it up and put it over his head. <laughs> and to me, you know, that week was filled with so many off-camera memories. But you asked me my most memorable one. That's the one that makes me tear up and cry all the time. The fact that the guys wanted us to be a part of that celebration like that meant the world to me. I will never, ever forget it. That's awesome. That's, That's really awesome. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a hard uh, one to follow, fellas. Gonna have, us <laughs> gonna have us crying at eight a.m. on a Sunday. That's a hard on one Monday. to follow, boy. So but it's the truth. If I can read this next question through the tears, um, <laughs> as an announcer, you kind of have, you know, a, a not only more educated but also a unique opinion every time you watch a game when you hear a different announcer make a call. So what I what I was really wondering, what I mentioned with these guys the other night is I was wondering what your favorite call made by an announcer other than yourself is. Uh, so I guess we could just do this, I guess one inside hockey and one outside of hockey, because I know you follow the other sports as well. But um, yeah, what would you say like your favorite call made uh, yeah, over this... a player or something by someone that is not yourself would be? Will, this is an amazingly difficult question. It's a really good question. It's something that I could probably stand up at the front of the room and, and give a lecture course on. There are so many of them. I would take um, that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pin a few down. Um, 
inside of hockey, you know, the most memorable call maybe inside of hockey or any sport is a 1980 Al Michaels call um, that spawned the name of a, of a movie. And, you know, you talk about being in the right place at the right time for Al. I don't know that Al had done, I don't know, more than a handful of hockey games in his life by the time he had that opportunity with the United States against um, the Soviet Union in the 1980 Olympics in Lake Placid. But the sense of timing, the sense of drama, the way he capped it was, you know, close to perfect in our business. And I don't know that we can ever be perfect in what we do. The, you know, if I were to, to nitpick it at all, I wish Ken Dryden would have just laid out um, a second longer before his comment. It would have given Al just a clean run all the way through the Do You Believe in Miracles? Yes, then Dryden could have said something. But Dryden was just euphoric at the time. And 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 Green himself as a, as a TV color analyst. But that one inside of hockey is hard to beat. Uh, I, I don't care if it's college or pro, but this was an Olympic festival. And, and considering all of the political climate that was going on at that time, I realized it's a long, long time ago, but it, it is as memorable as it gets. Everybody is familiar with it, and it helped to create uh, an incredible movie about an incredible team. Uh, that one stands out to me for sure. In a list of, you know, I, I've been lucky. I, I've broadcast eight different sports. Um, I, I love the mechanics of play-by-play -play more than anything in, in what we do. I think radio is the truest form of what a play-by-play -play announcer does. I love the TV aspect of it, and we are, I think we're going to talk about that in the, in the next couple of moments. But I, I love all of that atmosphere, but the, the radio part of play-by-play -play is truly where... I think an announcer um, makes his mark. And I, I just think of um, a dramatic World Series moment. Uh, I go back to 1988. Again, I'm going, I'm sure I'm going too far back for a lot of your listeners, but you're invited to try and track these calls down. Kirk Gibson hits a home run in the 88 World Series, basically on one leg uh, for the Dodgers. And it's you know a moment is in, is amazing when there are two iconic calls connected to it and two of the finest announcers just in their craft of all time. Vin Scully, who's a poet laureate at, at work, uh, his TV call is outstanding, but Jack Buck's call, Joe's father, Jack, on CBS Radio, I think, had the national radio call. Um, Jack Buck's I don't believe what I just saw is as good as it gets. I mean, my I, the hairs on my forearm stand up. It's a spine-tickling moment and call, and if you ever get that opportunity as an announcer, you, you pray that you hit it as well as those two guys hit it, and they're, they're two of the best in the business. Absolutely. They're, I, I, I love both those calls. They're just one of my favorite things in history. I remember – that was like a year before I was born, but like my dad would always talk to me about that call. It's like one of the coolest things ever. It's like when you see those like moments like live. It's like what's it called for me? It's like seeing the Minneapolis miracle. It's like you know that moment's gonna go down in history. Forever. I'm a truther of the Minneapolis miracle call. I think that is that would probably <laughs> no, be what I would say. <laughs> yeah, um, but there are so many of them. We're blessed to be sports fans. Yeah. Have yeah. those moments etched in, in our memories is pretty cool. But I just 
like Scully does it in two different ways. His call of the actual home run is great, but the layout and allowing the crowd to roar the way he did, and then the tag, what we call the tagline, the way he summed it up, um, you know, it's hard to it's hard to think of anybody doing it any better. And then Jack Bucks in the moment, even though, you know, unbelievable is a word that we throw around way too often, but that truly was unbelievable. And then to him, for him to double up on it, double down on it, if you will, with I don't believe what I just saw twice, I think he said it. Um, just amazing. Yeah, I, I, I dream of those moments. I hope I, ever, I hope I were to get something that special. Um, well, the next question is probably something special. So in history, there have only – in NHL history, we I, I looked this up when we were talking about this question. There have only been four reverse sweeps in history, and you had the honor to watch one of them and commentate on one of them. It was Boston versus Philly in 2010. Now, it's kind of tough when you're down 3 nothing in a series to, like, see moments that change everything, but you were in the commentary booth. I remember there's famous calls online about you uh, talking – during Game Four, when Simone Gagne scored the overtime winner, was, was there a moment besides that that like showcased that this was possibly going to happen? That Philly was going to be galvanized enough to come back and win four straight against a Boston team that like was was pretty good. They were not like a slouch, but did you see like a moment during all of that that really like showed you that like this Philly team is actually different? Like they're going to come through with this. Shell on versus days. I miss those. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um... If I had to say, those are probably the best scorecards of all time. I'm those are score bugs. <laughs> yeah, they're great. Yeah, I, I miss those days. That was um, an, an amazing series. Game seven, I would have called with uh, with Billy Jaffe. And you're asking me if I could see into the future there when it was 3 nothing down. The Gagne overtime goal was one of my favorite calls, non-caps. Um the one that that started the comeback, and very nice of you to call it a reverse sweep. I like that. Um, that started it all. But did I know it was possible? No. Was there a moment in Game Five or Six that led me to believe that they were gonna get over the hump like that? No. And then they go down. If memory serves, they're down three nothing in Game yeah, Seven. Philadelphia is. So that was highly improbable and. You know, I've been lucky enough to be in Capital One Arena at full decibel level, and it, it is a moving experience when you hear it and the fans and you guys are getting into it the way that you do. And that building was crazy. TD Garden was crazy in Game 7 when the Bruins were up, jumped out three-zip, uh, Ryder got involved, uh, Lucic got involved. And I'm like, oh, great, this is going to be anticlimactic, and Game Seven is going to be a Boston route. And, but instead, Philly chips away, chips away, chips away. And then Gagne, uh, I think, gets the fourth one for Philly. And it was after, I guess, in the 3 nothing run for Boston, uh, you're going to hear a, a familiar name. Peter Laviolette calls a timeout, and whatever he said to Philadelphia in that moment uh, triggered the orange and black to recover the way they did. Gagne scores the potential game winner after being down 3 nothing to put him up 4-3. And they hold on, and they're doing it with a reserve goalie. And Philadelphia Flyer fans love me forever since. But um, <laughs> it's amazing. I know the fan bases, they think that we're rooting for teams. You're not. As a, in that instance, as a national announcer, all I'm rooting for is a really good game seven. 
Yeah. I, I want a competitive game. I want a game that I can I can put my play by play to that's gonna hold up and endure. I'm not rooting for Boston. I'm not rooting for Philly. I'm if I'm doing a Washington Pittsburgh game and it's Crosby against Ovechkin, I'm not rooting for either team. Now that's hard for me to do since I am a quote Washington guy. But when you're there and you're being employed by the national network carrier, you have to be 50-50. Mm-hmm. The viewers sometimes don't see it that way, but Flyer fans have forever given me a lot of praise for that moment in 2010. And I'll take it. I'll take it because they've, they've MF'd me a lot of times whenever <laughs> I've been playing Philly. I'll, I'll give you one quick one. My first, my first year in the NHL uh, – 1994. Hey, welcome to the league. There's a lockout. Uh, congratulations. That's oh, nice. We didn't nice. start till 95. I was doing TV with Sean Simpson on WB 50 at that time. One of the games we did, one of the earliest games I did on TV in the NHL at the spectrum flyer fans in full throat. And I'm standing there and the, the broadcast position was very low in Philadelphia. So flyer fans could see where we were. And all the while, like during the on camera open, I keep feeling this thump, thump thump on the back of my jacket and I don't think anything of it I go and do the game we get back up for the second period on camera or the first intermission on camera I keep feeling thump 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 I take my jacket I turn and look at it there are these little cherry tomatoes that they were throwing at me the whole time <laughs> <laughs> ah fire fans I love you uh, yeah I'm, I'm an Eagles fan so mm-hmm. I haven't yeah, experienced it's... Eagles fans and Philly fans like that before I've been hold that against you Jake Hey, it's all good. It's all good. I, we, you can hold it against me all you want. Yeah. Great, <laughs> great, great series, and uh, um, I, I, I enjoyed um, doing the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs in in that deep of a run with a national network cable uh, partner. There, that was fun. I had five plus years of that. Uh, basically, they slotted me right behind Doc Emmerich, so Doc would do one conference final. I would do the other. I, I've missed that a lot the last 10 years. I, I hope to return to that someday. Yeah, because I remember you did uh, you did the Montreal Philly series afterwards, and you were part of that yep. that, very, that other famous call was when my, uh, Richards, when he crashed into the goaltender and stole the puck and scored. That was probably another really fun call. That, that just was like – was that, our, that was our friend Yaro Halak, I think, too. Oh, yeah, our friend. That's what we call him. Yeah, our friend Yaro. Former capital Yaro Halak. I don't like to think yeah. about that part of 2010 that much. <laughs> um, good yeah. stuff. That's pretty awesome. You guys are testing my memory. This is good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Think yeah. about the thing about Capitals legend Philip Forsberg is that he's never hurt us. <laughs> we call we call him Capitals legend Philip Forsberg on here. You did say oh, that. Oh, good old Marty <laughs> We hardly knew you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but Halak actively hurt us as well as you know not do, getting to do much for us. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um so my next question, uh so obviously we've heard countless amazing goal calls from you. Not just for the Caps, but for plenty of other teams. But so one one that stands out to me, I just have to mention it. Um, you know, from the goal, 2006 against the Coyotes. We all know what goal I'm talking about. But uh, to summarize, storming storming in, curl and drag on the backhand, he scores, and then you know, in your signature voice, simply sensational. That's a favorite of mine. And then the use of the word dangalicious versus the devils. I can't remember what year that was, but that was a good one. But, um, and, you know, obviously, like you said, um, in the, the cup final run, we can't even imagine what that goal call would have sounded like. But, um, 
what would you say your most memorable or favorite cab school call is ever? That's and you know, I know part. there's I know there's thousands <laughs> to choose from, but <laughs> I mean, it, it's such a tough one. He, I, I, the one you're referencing is the most memorable, of course. Um, I think it's the greatest goal that I've ever called and probably will ever call. And I'll pull the curtain back for you a little bit. Instances like that, trust me, guys, I did not have the words simply sensational written down on a card. That, that's what comes to you. That just, that's yeah. just in the moment. Uh, we referenced Jack Buck. I don't believe what I just saw. That's, that's spur of the moment. So you don't want to script or rehearse something like that. And I was, I, I've said this before on, to a number of people who've interviewed me about that particular goal. What I was happiest about was that that was a blowout game in the desert. That game was over. Trust me, Locker had packed up his notes into his briefcase. He was basically on the plane. The <laughs> <laughs> thing that was cool or that I was most proud of was I didn't check out at that time. And the thing that you learned about Alex, and that, that was his rookie year, was that at any time he could do something that was going to take your breath away. At any time he was going to create a moment that was – going to last forever. So you as a play-by-play -play announcer, you can't check out. You have to stay in the moment. And uh, I did. And I was happy about that, that I did stay there. And it's two words, right? So the, the tagline is two words and then just shut up. As an <laughs> announcer, especially on TV, you have to learn to shut up. And uh, we did that. And Locker is well-schooled in the art of laying out and on the great goal calls he does give the, t the time for if we were at home, that building would have gone crazy. But we were in Arizona, and the fans were buzzing. And then our directors are starting – our director is cutting the sequence of aftermath shots, and you see Gretzky's eyes glaze over as he's looking up at the scoreboard. And you see Alex with the big mouth open going like, oh, my God, I just did that. And that's when the pictures tell the story. Um, and it's just a two-word tag and simply sensational, and that's, in my mind, what it was. Mm. So from a most memorable call, that's got to be it. But I've been blessed for 25 years to have a whole lot of them, and yeah, so many of them have been authored by Alex Ovechkin. This guy has challenged my powers of description for the last 16 years or so that he's been in the league. Uh, from the day I met him, I knew that was a special talent. He was, we were in a in the rink. The it was before training camp. The basketball subfloor was on, so it's just this boarded up look. He didn't realize that there was no ice there. I'm standing next to this 19 year old man child, and the heart is you could feel the heart beating out of his chest. He was so excited to be there. He taps me on the shoulder. Can I go skate? Can I go skate? I'm like Alex. There's no ice there. Mm -hmm. I, I knew right then and there just how special the guy was. And um, through the years, he has given me, I don't know, millions of memorable moments, just uh, a spectacular once-in-a-generation type talent. Yeah. Most memorable, though, has to be that day in the desert. That's, yeah. And this this is from just this past season. I thought this goal call was awesome. But um, Ovechkin's 718th goal against, I think it was the uh, – was, it was Islanders, sorry. Islanders, Islanders, yeah. That that goal call was great. That <laughs> very uh, loud goal. That was an awesome call. That, the the one where he moves by Phil. Yeah. Uh. Phil. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, think about how lucky I am. Think yeah. about how fortunate we are 
as a fan base, how fortunate we are as a network at NBC Sports Washington. I don't know that we fully understand what we're seeing before our eyes. And I pray, yeah, guys, I pray he plays another four or five years. Please, God, I hope he can do that. I hope he wants to do that. And can he sniff Gretzky's record? I don't know. But think about it if we're all still connected. Think about how lucky we are. You, yeah. you I don't know that we fully appreciate what he's done and who he's passed and how lucky that I have been to be the soundtrack of his entire career. I am honored. I am humbled. And every time he does what he does and passes another of the game's all-time greats, we're talking about pantheon greats, uh, how blessed am I? How blessed am I to have the words to put to that? I mean, that's yeah, amazing. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. 100%. I can't wait to hear you say 895 on live air. Oh, boy. If I, get that, if I get that chance, I, I hope if I get I that get chance, that. that'll be amazing. I will get that goal called tattooed on my body if it happens. <laughs> right, you can, you are hearing it here. I, yeah, I don't care. I'm holding you to that. Pull the receipt. You can oh, come with me. Everybody, listen. I, I saw this. I saw all y'all saying this. It's you can it's all so come with me, <laughs> guys. Here's the thing, though. As an announcer, in my opinion, and how I was trained, it's never about me. It's never about you, the announcer. This is, in other words, this would be an Alex Ovechkin moment. It's his moment. Connect to it. Make a solid, please, God, let it be a clean goal, not something off of his ass, but make <laughs> it you know, make it be a clean goal with a clean, great, strong, powerful call on time, no back sell, quick tag, and then shut up. It's yeah. his moment. It's not about you. And, and I will hope to be in that moment if we ever get there. Right. I will get it tattooed. <laughs> okay. You can all come with me. All right. I will watch. I'll watch. Um, again, about announcing, you know, I'm sure you make a lot of good connections and stuff. And, you you, you know, you don't just announce hockey. You, I hear you all the time, Big Ten Network. I don't even play lacrosse, but hearing you call Penn State lacrosse games on Big Ten. Dude, Mac O'Keefe's record-breaking it... goal. Oh, my God. Let the Lions roar. Okay. I love I'm sorry. Hey, man, I just had to say that good. at some point. I just had to say it at some point. I'm sorry. Yeah. This is good. You guys are good. You're like uh, audio video stalkers. I love it. And July July fourth, I turned on ESPN. Heard you calling that that lacrosse on there too. But um, what is your you know favorite thing about announcing hockey and not even just announcing, just announcing sports in general? Uh, with hockey, the the thing for any young announcer to realize that when he or she is going to start to broadcast hockey is that it's so incredibly fast. The most important thing that you do as an announcer is try and make it sound slow and under your control, and that takes time. That does take practice. That takes repetition. Um, you know, I was the – I have a degree in biology. I wanted to be a surgeon. It's not the normal way to the broadcast booth that I took, but when I was seven, eight, nine years old, we'd be running around playing street hockey or playing touch football or pick yeah. up basketball – and I was a dumb dumb who had all the names in his head. So <laughs> I would be calling the game on the street, running around while we were 10 years old. And I, I, I learned how to at least initially take those steps into play-by-play -play mechanics. And um, for hockey, what's most important is do not try to stay with the speed of the puck. Yes, you do. And it does sound like, geez, Joe's on top of every pass. I want you to feel like that. And, and it is true, but there's a... There's a learned skill to be able to do it slow, under control, under command, 
with the proper, proper cadence, rhythm, timing. That's something that Doc worked on with me when I was a puppy in this business. So I've learned over thousands and thousands of repetitions and games how to do it. When I'm advising young play-by-play announcers, I, I tell them, please practice hockey at one end and practice baseball at the other end. If you can do hockey and you can do baseball well, you can do everything in between and become that much more attractive to potential employers. Baseball is so slow. It's so methodical. And again, what's the most important thing, especially on TV? Shut up. As announcers, we just want to run our mouths. We just want to fill time. You don't have to do that in baseball, both TV and radio. Hockey, a little less. I can't have these huge layouts over hockey play-by-play. I don't like to do that, although... When I do, Locker fills that gap with either conversation or a joke or something. But you have those pauses, those natural delays. Football has it built in, except for teams that don't huddle. When they don't know huddle, it's a little different. But with teams that do huddle, you have that natural play-by-play call, color analyst highlight, stop, breathe, huddle. Then ESPN tells me about the sanctity of the snap, which means, Joe, shut up. If you're in the middle of 100,000 people at Michigan, let me hear the roar before the snap of the ball. Then call it. There's a lot of mechanics to play-by-play. I love I, I, I love the, the craft. Uh, I love the job. Sometimes I hate the business, but I love the job. Nice. <laughs> right, let's try to bang, bang these two last questions out quick. Guys, no, no need to run. We'll let no you need to go. run. Take, guys, you got time. No need to run. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I just I wanted to add on to that that like yeah, as like a person who like I've always grown up worshiping like these commentators. Like as you said, Gary Thorne. I'm an Orioles fan, so I watched Gary Thorne past hockey. Like I never heard Gary Thorne do hockey before I started looking up his old highlights, and like it's just incredible to see like how like much it 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 to be a part of that kind of business with how fast hockey moves like it almost is incredible to think that you're not commentating every little thing you're just sort of like saying the most important parts but you're also you're connected to these people because every time you think of a great nhl moment or a great like moment in sports you see these people who are commentating and you see these people who are doing it like you know as you said uh joe buck's father who commentated over that famous home run you think of him as well because you know that at the end of the day the commentators are sort of like our bridge into that world and like the fact that you get to do that for some of like the legendary moments in my life that i've seen is just incredible and like that's just something yeah, that's amazing. Well, well said joey well said i, I it's just we are given one of the best seats in the house and we're given the responsibility of describing um, potentially great moments every time you sit down behind that microphone. You never know. I never know if it's going to be a 10-1 blowout dog of a game where I'm reading my underwear labels by the third period. I never know. I never know. It could, could be a dramatic last-second game winner. Uh, it could be an incredible overtime. You never know. So you have to prepare for that. You have to be ready for that. And like we were talking about earlier with the Ovechkin in the desert, you need to stay in the moment. You never know when you're going to see that amazing goal. You never know when you're going to see that incredible 99-yard catch-and-run touchdown play. You you never know. You never know. And I I just – I get – I think romantic is the wrong word, but I romanticize the play-by-play of it, especially on radio, where I literally have to be your eyes. I literally have to describe it so that when I do turn on Kevin Harlan on Monday Night Football on radio, I I think Kevin's 
an amazing talent to begin with. Some people call him over the top. That's his style. But I think Kevin's even better on radio than he is on TV. Yeah. He paints such an incredible picture. Uh, and you, you, as a listener on radio, again, I, I think that's the purest form of play-by-play. And some guys do it really well. That That's where I cut my teeth for the first five years of my career. I was 90% radio, 10% TV. Now it's completely the opposite. And um, I had a chance to fill in for John Walton on Super Bowl Sunday, Caps Flyers on radio, and I, I loved it. I was so pumped up for the chance to do radio again. I, I look for those opportunities. Wait. What? What? Like, yeah, that's I tough. Thought that's tough. tough. Oh, I thought you said wait. I thought he said wait, too. I said, I said sweet. <laughs> I thought he said wait. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I would never tell him to wait. Good, Will. <laughs> All right. Huh. I guess I think everyone in the call kind of wants this. This is more of a a, sh a short question, I guess. Um, we all like jerseys a lot. We could talk about <laughs> Some of jerseys us more than others. We could talk about jerseys for two or three hours. I love them. I can't buy a lot of them, but I love them. Um, so what would you say your favorite Caps jersey variation is? Will, I'm answering your question with a question first. What's the what's your favorite jersey that you have in the closet? So I have I have a Sean Taylor jersey which oh, wow. is a little bit more meaningful to me just yeah. because of what sure. happened to him. Huh. And then I do have a Ovechkin jersey that I got the the, the cut patched on. Nice. Like the the 2018. Nice. But I I I've gotta go with the Sean Taylor jersey just because I mean like I watched football before I watched hockey. Um, I would say in the present day I definitely love hockey more. Uh, just because, for one the Caps are better than the Washington football team. And, you know, they're more enjoyable to watch. And they're also better than the Texas Longhorns. But, you know, it's tough out here. Uh, but but watching Sean Taylor growing Same. up, I, I don't know if I've ever felt the excitement for, like, a player that wasn't a quarterback, I guess. And, and the ability that he brought to every game to just bring excitement from the safety position is something that I've never felt watching any other player. Ed Reed, Troy Polamalu, uh, they're all amazing safeties. But watching my team have a player as dynamic as Sean Taylor, I mean, he's got to be my favorite athlete oh. ever. So he uh, I got to go with that one. He used to beat people's brains, and it was amazing to watch him. Um, favorite, <clears throat> excuse me, favorite Capitals jersey has to be what we now refer to as the third jersey for the Caps. So I'm talking about the blue and white stars, the stars on the sleeves, the pants, the third uniform that uh, the Caps currently wear with the, the old school Capitals logo, the stick in, in the middle. Oh, the red one? Yeah, the red version. Yeah, that red version. The 2018 alternate. Is yeah. my favorite. I, I'm, I, don't, I think they call it the third. I'm not sure because we have so many darn jerseys now. I think we're like Oregon all of a sudden. <laughs> Maryland with all these different color contraptions, but um, I like that third uniform. It makes me think of the, you know, the '80s era. Uh, I can picture mm. Locker wearing that that sweater. I, I I love that uniform. I think the one with the stars is great. Um, yeah. We we wear a lot of good things. I you know I I thought the color choice for the uh, the Nats Park uh, Winter Classic was interesting. That deeper burgundy, burgundy. blood. Yeah. That was kind of cool. Uh, I thought the stadium series, Navy at Navy, was a cool idea. I, I wasn't Thank you. Thank over you. the moon with the W and the 
monument because I don't think people appreciate the monument spoke in the W. But um, yeah, I, my favorite is my favorite is the of the ones that we wear now. We'll occasionally throw on that older retro red, not the retro with the eagle, but the the, the right third red. with yeah. the old logo. I, I think that's the winner for me. I'm like I'm it? the same with you. I think that's my favorite one. Mm-hmm. And like uh like yes about Will with his favorite jersey. That's that's probably got to be mine. I have a I don't know. I think I have like 8 or 9 caps jerseys. It's gotten a little out of hand, but my my favorite has to be my uh my 2018 red alternate Ovechkin one like you said. I don't think we're wearing it anymore though. I saw somewhere that the uh the newer navy one with the W in the middle um is is going to be our alternate for the next three years so i don't know if we're going to wear the the bright red alternate anymore but i really hope we do look it up i don't know how how good our record was how good the caps did in that blue jersey this year i don't know yeah i don't know if they won i don't think they won more than two of the maybe seven or eight times they wore (laughs) like the i remember we wore it like the nicholas backstrom one k game i know we wore it for that and then we you know, that wasn't the best game on his special day. But, yeah. yeah. yeah we have like got a lot of good ones. To, yeah, I, I have that one for Backstrom. I, I think we've got a lot of good choices to choose from. Obviously, the reverse retros, you know, lives up to all the hype. But... Do you guys like the blue and the bronze and the black? From yeah. the, from the yeah, I love that jersey. Yeah, yeah, of course. Me, but, like, I think if I were to piggyback my favorite jersey, I... I'm like in the process of collecting like a bunch of different jerseys and a bunch of different um kinds of them. But one of the ones that I I personally like the best was my first ever jersey I got as a kid was Joe Flacco because as a kid I had the honor of being a Ravens fan and having to defend. I have that Flacco. on my wall. I have to, I have to defend Joe Flacco with my my dying breath basically. And elite um, quarterback. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Um, and like it, it's so worn down. But like all the memories, like it saw me. I saw I won. Saw them win the second Super Bowl. I saw him like absolutely torch the Tampa Bay Buccaneers one time for five touchdowns in like one quarter. Oh yeah. Like all the memories. Oh, yes. I have a Lamar Jackson jersey <laughs> long, now, but it's like a it's long, like, long, 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 long time ago. I'm doing college football for CN8, which was a version of a second channel, if you will, for Comcast Sportsnet. And wouldn't you know who's quarterbacking the Delaware Blue Hens, but Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco. <laughs> and yes, I'm like, sir. first yes, time I sir. saw him throw a football, I'm like, what in the world is he doing at Delaware? No disrespect. Yeah. I, I, realized, <laughs> I think his college career may have started at Pitt. I may have I may have that wrong, but here it is. I'm doing a game of Joe Flacco's at Delaware, and he is throwing seeds from sideline to sideline. And I'm like, yes, you don't belong here, sir. And it turned out that he did pretty well for himself at the next level. Yeah. <laughs> and Didn't do MVP too bad. Also. Yeah. Um, he's he's probably one of my favorite players of all time. But um, obviously this is episode number eight, and there's uh kind of a special guy that wears number eight in Washington. I don't know if you know him. You might have met him. Seven hundred or so goals. <laughs> plus, uh, you might Ovechkin. know him. <laughs> you might know him. You might have heard of him. He's a pretty good player. Alex Ovechkin has scored how many goals is he now? Seven hundred and thirty-one, something like that. Um, so maybe a lot. It's probably more than the playoffs. He has probably 800 total. It's insane. Like I don't think he's, like you said, we're not gonna recognize what he's done until way after he's done because it's one of the craziest things we've ever seen. They know um, you love her till you let her go. Exactly. Um, 
But personally, besides maybe besides like the Arizona goal, because the Arizona goal is like an easy one to point out. Is there a favorite goal that you think you look back to, like maybe milestone goals, maybe like just like one where he did something incredible, one that you look back to that's like your favorite that you always look back to at a time and be like, that was pretty awesome. Like that was probably like the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. There's a lot to, to sort of rank Ovechkin goals, and it's it's hard because there have been so many incredible ones. And so many of them were dramatic in his rookie year, obviously led by Arizona. Mm. But there's a goal uh, where he twists around Roman Hammerlich. Uh, it was at Capital One Arena. It's against Montreal. He scores against a, a younger yes. person, Harry Price, yeah. uh, basically sliding on his ass. It, it, that's, that's my that's favorite. Right up there with everything that you can imagine. You know, if you're trying to describe Alex Ovechkin to a, a hockey fan who had never seen him play. Every bit of the Ovechkin dynamic is on display in that in that goal. His skating speed, his creativity, his power, his never give up attitude, the ability to score and, and get shots off from any angle and from any position. That's right up there. That's up there in the top two or three. There's a goal in the 09 playoffs that he scores against the Rangers. Um, again, selfishly, I hear everybody else's goal call. Uh, every other announcer's goal call on that one, other than my own, I, I, I'm like, come on, give me a little love. Give me a little <laughs> on tape there, it was it was a remarkable goal. He he basically toe dragged two Ranger defensemen, scored on Lundqvist from his knees on the backhand, and then almost killed his teammates in celebration. That's it's probably <laughs> my favorite, other than the goal. But you know, you guys, I know you're planning on asking me a, a favorite moment from Ovechkin's rookie year and this one i've never said to anybody anywhere so this is a first oh exclusive the pizza's here fellas and this one has double meatball on it Uh, (laughs) this is flip that rookie year which happens to be an olympic year right so 2006 is the olympics in torino and i am lucky enough to have the national radio call for westwood one on that event so I get over to Italy uh, maybe, I don't know, five days before the start of the tournament, and I am doing my homework as best I can, prepping for the international sides and Team USA and Canada, and I'm at Team Russia's practice in an empty rink that's eventually three or four days later going to be where the Olympic Games begin, and here comes Team Russia, fellas. One after another, superstar, stud player after another. You're you're like you're talking about a hockey dream kind of team. You're like, how in the world are these guys gonna lose? And Alex Ovechkin, Ovechkin is the puppy on this team. He's he and Malkin are babies. I don't even know if Malkin was playing in the league at this time, but Malkin was the number two pick to Alex in the draft in 04, and he was also supposed to be something incredible. So this is the first time I believe I've ever seen Malkin in person. Malkin walks out onto the ice. I'm like, they have him too. And here comes Ovechkin. Oh my God. But the, the memory that stands out more than anything, I'm in the stands. There's nobody in the rink. There's probably 10 people watching Russia practice. I'm like, what are we doing here? But I wanted to get, you know, familiarized with numbers and body style and skating style. And also that I, my call would be an accurate one. And here comes, here comes Alex. And he recognizes me in the stands. And, <laughs> It's an empty rink, so you could hear everything that everybody was saying. What's up, MFR? I'm like, what? No, don't, don't you dare do that. He, 
I, I, pulling the curtain back, I've called him Freak Show, and he's called me Freak Show for 16 years. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> calls me MFE, MFE freaky in front of the people in the rink. I'm like, no, Alex, no, don't do that. Don't do it. I'm waving him off. I'm like, but I, that is probably my favorite moment from his rookie year. And, and it just, it floored me. I'm like, oh gosh, we, you know, so happy. So, you know, happy go lucky kind of kid. Yeah. And he, he re- you know, he was happy to recognize somebody so far away in Italy. It's like, Hey, freak show. M-. I'm like, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. Oh, that's, that's awesome. That's, Dude, I'm in heaven good. right now. I don't even <laughs> want to go to work. I, I don't think I'm ever going to get there's, that. Like, there's there's one other, and I don't, know, I don't know if I've ever told this one in public either, but two weeks, or no, it was a month before the Olympics. Pavel Bure is the general manager, I, I, I'm guessing, or hockey director for that Olympic team for Russia, and there was some question as to whether or not they were going to pick Ovechkin for that team. Alex, in his rookie year, still to this very day, is shy on camera. He speaks the English language really well. If we're in a group, um, you know, if you're one-on-one with him and or a small group, his English is is very good. He would be super self-conscious, though, in the early years, once we got into a room of 30 people and all these cameras and microphones. He was very self-conscious. So um, <laughs> the guys, I guess we were Comcast Sportsnet then. I'm thinking we were. Uh, Joe, sit Alex down, have a one-on-one interview with him about potentially being on the Olympic team. So we do that. It's one camera. It's me and Alex. I ask him that question, and he gives me a very polite, nice answer. But he's on camera, so he's, you know, he's cringing a little bit. And he gives me a good answer. He walks out of the TV uh, studio, and he's now surrounded by four or five people who ask a uh, radio, uh, print, other media, and they ask him pretty much the same question. And all of a sudden, out of his mouth, you tell Pavel Bure, I'll play goal. I'll do anything to be on that team, whatever he wants. And I'm like, ah, why couldn't you have given me that on camera two seconds ago? <laughs> as long as he was on camera, he was like looking at himself in the monitor. He was never sure of what he was saying. But he walks out into this small group, and he gives you this great glib answer. And I'm like, Dum dum. Why couldn't you have said that to me five minutes ago? <laughs> never forget it. He was uh, oh, that's just awesome. so great. So great. Freak show. Freak show. Freak show. That's been a mutual moniker. Whenever we get on the plane, hey, Freaky, what's up? Freak show. <laughs> I can just imagine, like, eating an empty rink and, like, Ovechkin, like, as you were from earlier, man, child just screaming, what's up, Ovechkin? Like, I just... Like, that's so oh. funny. I can picture him saying that, like, in my brain. No, that's yeah. not in my mind. He, he didn't have a whole lot of English that. under his belt at that time, but he knew that word pretty well. He knew that <laughs> word. Still, still, still does. Yeah. <laughs> still does. Still does. You um, pretty much answered EA's next question pretty well, too. Yeah, that's what he, yeah. yeah I'm, that's a perfect answer to my next question, so we can All just right. go over Let's that. Let's go to next <laughs> toe. Yeah, obviously, you already kind of shared a good moment with with Locker. Obviously, your broadcast partner that we all love as well. Um, do you have any other good moments to, uh, with Craig Wolf on that that you cherish and uh, share? Thousands. Nah, thousands. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> he and his family, uh, Jake and, and guys, he he's he and his family have treated me like family for twenty four years now. I mean, it, it's just it's hard to explain. Um, People hear us getting along very well on the air. We always want to make sure that the game is first and foremost. It's not about us. But if we can entertain you, if we can make you laugh once or twice a period, we want to do that. 
that is just Locker's personality in general. He lives to laugh. And he also lives for my pain. He, he loves moments where I'm in trouble, where bad things happen to me. He, he loves to try and diffuse those with laughter. Um, I'm going to give you two of my favorites. Neither of them were at the rink. Neither of them are calling a game. Um, anytime we were playing tennis against each other, as literally, as soon as I would hit the ball close to the line, he'd call it out. <laughs> ball out as soon as it left my string. And I would, I would just double over in laughter and not be able to complete the backhand or the forehand or the volley or whatever because he's calling it out. I'm a locker. I haven't even hit the ball yet. Calling it out. <laughs> we've had some we, – we don't play very much anymore. He plays every day, by the way. Oh, I haven't geez, played okay. him in, in four or five years. But those, that's one that comes to mind right away. And, again, countless. We, are, we I think – I think. I'm not going to make any promises, but – we are going to try and write a book one of these days together, and it, it'll, be, oh, yes. it'll be really cool. Oh, but awesome. um, oh, there will yes. be one chapter that will be devoted to the sauna in Atlanta. And oh, no. Locker loves – he's a workout – you know, he's a professional athlete at, at, at heart, and he still loves to work out hard. He does every day on his, on his Peloton and on the tennis court. But <laughs> we were in Atlanta at this really nice – I think it's a Ritz-Carlton down there, and – I wasn't in the room working out with him, and he's like, he he's miss, you know, he, he wants a lockout, he wants a workout partner, so he calls up to my room. This is the morning before a game. I think we had come in, you know, we probably had flown into Atlanta from another city, so it's the off day before the Atlanta game. He's down there early, and he calls me up. He goes, "You got to come down here. The the weight room's great. The sauna, the steam room, blah 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 blah. Make sure you go in the steam room." And that's those were his last words. So I got about an hour later, I, I get down there. I do some pretend workout and uh, I, I jump into the steam room and the steam room. I, I didn't realize it. He had turned it up to like 160 degrees oh, dear God. Just, just to prank me. And and he's waiting in the hallway about an hour later. He circles back down and there I am. And I come out of that damn steam room in about two minutes. I, I heat stroke uh, blisters. Uh, and he, <laughs> Just doubled over, crying, laughing. <laughs> a lot of the chapters in the book will feature him double over, crying, laughter, could barely breathe, hyperventilating, laughing at something that went wrong with me, getting hit by a light, being served something that's eventually going to give me food poisoning, all this stuff. Oh he, my loves gosh. he just loves it. Um, I, the closest thing <laughs> I have to his brother, not even close. So good. So good. Yeah. Locker episode nine. <laughs> there you go. He's gonna come right episode eighteen. Episode oh, eighteen. Yeah. yeah. How about nineteen? We may as well push it back one then. <laughs> uh, yeah. Also, I kind of want to ask like my that second flush. Too. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> Former, I love those Thrashers. I miss them so much. Oh, the thr Thrashers. That's what I said, Atlanta. I was like, Atlanta. I'm like, oh wait, the Thrashers. I was like, oh man. <laughs> Hockey. Bob Hartley is the head coach. Yeah. Oh, Ilya Kovalchuk in his prime. Capitals legend. Capitals legend. Whenever I saw Kari Lettinen practice, I thought I've never seen a goalie any better. Uh, I mean, uh, Semyon Varlamov as a baby with the Caps might have been the most amazing goalie I've ever seen practice. Just take your breath away. Skills, power, strength. Varley's turned out to be really good. Kari obviously turned out to be very, very good. Yeah. But I, I don't know if he was as great as, as 
his draft pedigree was, but first time I ever saw him in Atlanta in full gear and practice, I'm like, how the hell are you ever going to score on this guy? So big, so fast, so good. Same thing I think about Vasilevsky every once in a while now. Yeah. yeah. Yes. He lives up to it. He's pretty dynamite. No doubt. I thought he was going to be the Marc-Andre Fleury 2.0 for us in 2018. Oh, God, no. You know, whatever it is, guys, I don't know that he's ever had spectacular performances against one against Washington, although there is one. I think he made a – I think he might have had a 50-save game against the Caps or high to mid, mid to high 40s against Washington. It was a home game. But other than that, our guys seem to solve him pretty well. But no, no, no. He, he Again, another guy – I judge a lot of these guys by what I see in workouts – and again, uh, I was talking to John Cooper, who um, I, I do know pretty well. And I was talking to Cooper while we were watching Vasilevsky practice. And he's like, dude, this is something off the charts. And I'm like, yeah, you could just tell. And it's it, it's how imposing he is. But his athleticism at that size, or at least length, because he's lanky. He's not a big, thick guy. He's not like Ole Kolzig was or, or – um, Oh, who's the guy nowadays? Uh, Leonard. Leonard in Vegas. Those guys are big. They're built like linebackers. Vasilevsky yeah. very, very, I would call him skinny, but he's not really skinny, but thin, lean. But he fills out the net so much, and God, he's exceptional. I was about to say that picture recently that came out with him and Carey Price shaking hands after they won the Honey. cup where it looks, like he, it looks like he's just like a tower over Carey Price. And I guess a lot of that, too, has to do with the goalie's uh, preference. Like, I think Carey tucks in the, the, the chest protectors, which are so big now. Uh, Vazzy doesn't, so he wears it out over his hockey pants. So that gives him that huge balloon look like he's got a like a pony keg under his uh, <laughs> under his jersey. But yeah, he's – oh, boy, he's, he's amazing to watch and uh, has only gotten better and better and – that team, think about it, they've got four of the top ten players in the world. I don't yeah. care how many guys they lose from the cup winner this year. When you have Vasilevsky, Hedman, Point, and Kucherov, that, that's a pretty good core. Yeah. yeah. You got Stamkos and Kalorn and McDonough. Oh, who, yeah. yeah. And then you got I don't know how many of those guys they're going to keep, how many of them are still going to be playing, how many are going to be lost to whether it's contract status or, or Seattle or what have you, but um, – They'll still be they'll still be tough. That Atlantic division will be tough when we go back to the divisions that we're familiar with. And hello, yeah. Carolina, a really oh, really good yeah. Carolina team that the Caps are going to have to play. Yeah. Right. <laughs> he said he says that we've had we've done a good job figuring out Vasilevsky just for that shutouts every single game next year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If, if Vasilevsky hears that, he might do that. He might do yeah. that. <laughs> Guys, I've got 10 minutes. Go ahead. Okay, uh, I'm going to go ahead and just pick my favorite of, of the remaining questions that I I, I, I chose then. Uh, so throughout your time with the Caps, you've had a lot of you know, personal interactions with the players. Uh, so who would you say is, is someone who stood out to you as just you know, someone who's really pleasant and, and classy and just, just you were able to build a personal relationship with uh, from like a player to, to broadcaster kind of kind of way? You guys have given me a series of difficult questions, and this might be the most difficult because uh, there's another, there's a number of levels to the answer of the question. Um, first of all, when the, the same people who educated me never touched the Stanley Cup, 
are the same people who educated me young in my professional career. You know, don't build a lot of personal connections with the players because you need to be objective about their call. You don't, I don't want you to be hedging your call because this guy's a buddy of yours and you're going out to dinner with him and his wife or you're, you're babysitting his kids. You need to be objective. So don't get too close. Uh, don't build up too personal a relationship with these players. And I, I think it was sound advice 30 years ago when it was given to me, and I, I still live by it. And, and trust me when I say that the Capitals organization would prefer that Locker and I and Alan May and Al Koken and anybody else who's involved with the telecast, you know, we, we keep a professional distance from the players, if, if that's understandable. But I will say to you, over the course of 25 years, on planes, on buses, in hotels, uh, at great moments and at soul-crushing moments, you do interact with these people. And I am incredibly grateful for the cooperation that the players have given me. Will, I'm going to in part answer your question by saying in 25-plus years, there have maybe, maybe been three jerks in 25 plus years that's pretty impressive i will not name the jerks but there have only been maybe three of them the rest of these guys are salt of the earth that you would love to have a beer with play golf with uh just have conversation with uh incredible people i countless i can't pin it down but i just think about guys who have been especially good in the dressing room or in a quiet time at a restaurant where I might have walked by the table and lingered an extra minute or two to ask a question. Guys like that who have shown great personality, have been pleasant with me, there are hundreds. But the guys who pop out, you know, Peter Bonner was great that way. Ole Kolzig is great that way then and still now. Um, Ken Klee was somebody who was so personable. I think that's the best way to use it, uh, to describe him. Uh, the guys on the team now jump off the page. If you had the chance to actually spend, and maybe you have, I don't know. If you had the chance to spend five minutes with a TJ Oshie, you'd be like, wow, what an amazing guy. Not just an amazing hockey player and what he can do on the ice and how heart and soul he is for the team, but an amazing guy, an amazing young father who's one of the great things about the job that Locker and I have and that we've been blessed with for these many years. You get to see players and meet them when they're 19 and 20. And in some cases, if you're there, if they're there long enough and you've been there long enough, you see them grow up and mature. And it's in a big brotherly way or, or now almost fatherly way for me. I've seen Alex and Nick grow up. And I remember when Nicholas was afraid of his own shadow as a kid coming over from Sweden. Alex Ovechkin has always been the life of the party, the rock star, put the spotlight on me. Nicholas has always been the reserved shy player. But now, Backstrom, 10 years later, 15 years later almost, the way he's changed and how confident he is in his own skin and how he has the ability as part of the Caps leadership core to grab a player by the throat and say, F you, we need you to do this this way. He's he's not backing down from anything anymore. He's he's grown and matured. And those two guys, again, uh, Nicholas Backstrom was my late 
mother's favorite player. My mom always had great taste, and she knew Nicholas was somebody special. She could just tell, and he has been. And I can't be more happy for Nicholas and his family that he's achieved what he's achieved on the ice and how incredibly good he is at his job and how I hope he'll be recognized with Hall of Fame status forever. But as good a player on the ice, you can tell he's that good of a person off of it. Just by the way he interacts, just by the way he, how friendly he is, just by the way he cares about your day as much as you might care about what's going on in his world. Um, there are too many to mention, but I've hit upon the guys who are probably most worthy of mention, at least in my eye. But trust me when I tell you this is a great group. There's a reason why they're winners. There's a reason why John Carlson and Braden Holtby and Jay Beagle and Carl Alsner and those guys came through the ranks together at the American Hockey League level and they won games by the dozens and the regular season. And yeah, they had their highs and lows in the playoffs, but you think about a 2016 team that had, what was it, 120 points? There's a reason they were winning. And it was, yeah, talent on the ice, but how well they bonded off the ice, how much they loved each other as players and friends and brothers off the ice. That 2010 team that wasn't savvy enough to win it all but had all the skill in the world, fellas, that was like I was traveling in a rock and roll band, watching them, watching them go to North America the way they did, having so much fun off the ice. It's probably too much fun off the ice, but it was – there are things that I can never say. There are things that I've seen that I can never say, even in a book. I will not say. But that's why they were so tight. That's why they were such a great family unit, and they were easy to love. And we as Caps fans love that group, those early Red Rockers, those early uh, Young Guns teams. Uh, Mike Green, an amazing person, just incredible. You know, I would go for backstories. The first person you'd walk into the room you'd see would be Green. And if you were me, if you were smart, you'd go to Greeny. The whole media would be somewhere else. They'd be around Alex or Nick or, or Braden or somewhere else. I'd go to Greeny. And he would spend time with me and give me insight to the game that I could impart to the viewer time after time after time. Did I attribute it to him all the time? No, because some of the things shouldn't have been attributed to him. But there were so many great stories that he have given me that I went through locker to, to say to you guys on the air, all of those guys, they all want to help. There are only three jerks in 25 years. That's pretty damn good. That's pretty yeah, good. That's, that's, yeah, that, that's, cool. a, that's a good ratio. First, first off, just hearing you talk about like guys like Jay Beagle, you know, those guys that aren't those stat sheet guys are the guys that are going to like, you know, take a hit, make a face off, make a play. Like the, I always think about one thing in my mind. That I remember most about Jay Beagle is not anything but the moment in 2016 when the Capitals were basically getting getting handed their own like their re-airing by the Penguins. It was it was it was bad. It was an overtime game six. It looked like the puck went in, but then you look in the replay and behind the net, the person who saved the game. I mean, only for like five minutes because then Nick Bonino happened, but still saved the game. Was sliding on the goal line was Jay Beagle. This man was willing to give his whole freaking life. 
to stop a puck, which nobody remembers it because it doesn't matter. But, like, that's the stuff that makes you love these players. That's why Jay Beagle, we call him the best player of all time because this dude was willing to do stuff that, like, even guys like, you know, superstars may not want to do, you know? And it's incredible to think that, like, he's just – he's – He's such, like, a famous, like, he's on the likes of guys like Ovechkin and Baxter because of what he did here. And I'm Joey, happy he went to Vancouver so, and got to So down to earth, Joey. So down to earth. Yeah. So appreciative of his time as a professional athlete. Not spoiled. Not entitled. I mean, truly a lovable person. And again, you then you watch. I, I see him. I meet him in his early 20s. I then see him as a dad with his with his children. It's very easy to see why these guys are so lovable. And when you say Jay Beagle, this is a guy who will, I mean, literally give you the shirt off of his back. That's Jay. And as nice a person as you've met, Carl Alsner, some of the, all those guys, they come to mind so quickly for good reason because they're, yeah, they're, are they tremendous athletes and professional players and guys we admire for that? Sure. But I'm lucky. I get to see them off the ice. I do get to interact with them quite a bit, and they're great people. They're just great people. Definitely. That's, that's, that's awesome. The, uh, so that was a good way the, to... Uh, good. No, go ahead. If, if you... uh, I, I had the uh, pleasure of meeting uh, both Jay Beagle and uh, Carl Alsner and Carlson also, and um, all three of them, you know, like you said, just, you know, such, like, genuine and nice people, and, like, I remember one memory of my dad telling me once when, you know, we were getting ready to meet them and I'm in line, you know, I'm like shaking in my boots, so nervous to like go up and say hi to him, a little kid. And, um, you know, he's like, you know, yeah, they're professional athletes, but they're, you know, at the end of the day, they're just regular guys like us too, you know, just talk to them. And, you know, I do that and just all three of them are just such nice people. And, you know, I can only imagine with all the interactions and stuff that you've had, but, you know, like you said, they're, all have just been so nice, all of the players that I've had the pleasure of meeting. There was a time when, and there still is that time, it's still, it's every time they, they wind up playing a game at Capital One, the players insist that you guys and that the fans give them so much added energy that come the third period when they should be dragging on the, you know, when you're playing the third game in four nights, and I think what we ask of these athletes is amazing in terms of being demanding of their time and talent and energy and strength. But in the third game in four nights, when they should be dragging, they hear you guys inside of Capital One Arena roaring like that. They genuinely give you guys credit for giving them energy, for giving them strength, for helping them not be tired in the most crucial moments. So that's why we always ask for the fans to be at their loudest. And, and they never disappoint. And that's why I thought it was odd these last few years during this during this COVID situation where I think the Capitals have a lot of show ponies. They like to show off. They like to live and breathe and feed off the fans. Not that every team and every team does uh, every professional athlete, any amateur athlete wants mom and dad to be cheering them on there. That's going to make them jump higher or throw the ball farther. I understand that, but the hockey players on this Capitals team in this group love it when we play inside of Capital One arena and they feed off of it. And you could tell there was a difference, especially in the Toronto bubble. Something was off. Yeah. And something is not quite right when you're in Capital One Arena and there's nobody there save for 30 people in the TV crew and, and a, a couple of uh, ushers. It was 
it was a strange circumstance, but those guys genuinely, Mike Green would tell me he would never get tired in the third period during a home game because the Caps fans kept pushing and pushing and pushing them. They they love the, they love the support they get. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. incredible. And like, I mean, I, I I like I I think I remember if I had to pick one of my favorite moments of all time of like just interacting with anybody. It wasn't even a player. It was it was Alan May. And it was before the game. It was the game that Jay Beagle returned against the Capitals in 2019. I was sitting up front. It was me and my dad were at the game. I was wearing my Jacob Zana jersey. And Al May walks by me going to possibly get ready to do the pregame stuff or is, or is done with it and getting ready to go watch the game from somewhere. And he looks at me. And I just I, – I notice. I'm like, oh, my God, that's Alan May. And he, like, points at me. And he points at my jersey number and says – I. he's like, you better score tonight. And I was like, I was like, what? And I was like, oh, my God, he pointed my jersey to his Vrana. And later on in the game, I think the way Vrana scored, it was one of the most, like, crazy goals ever. I think it bounced off, like, four different guys and went in. But the last person it touched was him. And I was, like, I was just, like, ecstatic because I was, like, that's one of the most incredible moments ever because, like, it's just, like, as a fan, like, you, you whenever we people say, like, you know, hockey is the best sport, they don't say it, like, because it's just, like, a joke. Like, hockey literally, like, is one of the most incredible sports, you know. It's a bunch of guys skating around on ice shooting a puck and like skating at speeds unreal and it's like incredible how like the crazy the idea sounds and how fun it is to watch because you've got some of the great like moments and like you know seeing um mark messier and the rangers long cup drought you got all those incredible goals by guys like yager uh pavel burr you got timo solane breaking the goal record you got, like, Ovechkin, of course, nowadays. Like, it's just incredible to think, like, the players all the time, like, they always come back and they realize, you know, they, they, the players recognize the fans. These guys are freaking athletes and, like, superstars. And the fact that they think we, like, and they, they really feed off us is incredible. It's one of the coolest things ever. It's just, like, it's you reference, uh, you reference Messier, so that's a Gary Thorne call against New Jersey where after Messier guaranteed that they'd win all, during that cup run and, I mean, yeah. Gary's call there. We were talking about great announcer calls. Gary's call there is phenomenal. Uh, Sam Rosen's call that same spring in 94 when the Rangers end their long, long cup drought. Um, I think Sam's tagline was, this one will last a lifetime. Now, again, I hope there was spontaneity there. You, you would think that there was a phenomenal call. And any Ranger fan will forever remember those words. And um, you, you, you touched on Alan May. We touched on how players um, interact with announced teams. For me, it's always special to see how Allen and Locker interact with the players because, you know, that's that's a fraternity. There's a brotherhood there. Those guys played in the NHL. I didn't. Al Koken didn't. Um, Alexa Shaw, none of us. We, we, we don't play in the NHL. We report and we commentate. We call play-by-play in the NHL. We analyze. Those guys share a deeper connection with the players so whenever I see Locker talking on a game day to Anthony Mantha or whenever I see Alan May on a game day spending time with John Carlson I know they're getting the goods I know they're getting the true scoop Um, it might get filtered it might get watered down when they talk to the media through a microphone but when Alan and Locker are with them side by side or at MedStar or in an elevator or on the plane you're getting straight dope then and that's when we have to decide what can we put on the air what can we not put on the air because we're partners with the club and there's some things that we're not supposed to see and there's some things that we're not supposed to hear but that's some of the great part of this business i i'm blessed to have been in it now for 
over 30 years as a pro and um i'm grateful to a lot of people obviously the people who hire me but i'm grateful for the athletes and the coaches for all the cooperation they've given because they make our lives easier by telling us what's going on what's not going on there's backstory there's off the record story and if you don't get that cooperation you can't succeed in this business the way i have and uh, for those reasons and a lot others, I'm I'm really grateful. Definitely, that's incredible. I'm happy run, boys. Uh, yeah, I think honestly that might just that might just be it. I have one last question. It could be quick. Please. Um, the you you've obviously been to stadium like hundreds of stadiums possibly like nearly a thousand possibly, and you've probably been to stadiums that don't do anything anymore. Do you have a favorite one that's not Capital and Arena? Like, is there one that you remember, like, having the best memories there or just, like, how cool it looked? Maybe one of the newer ones. Like, do you have a favorite stadium? Like, that's, like, Ooh. a good place to go besides Capital One. Yeah, there's, um, there's a lot of answers to that and a lot of legs that I could try and pull at for, the, for those reasons. You know, do I like the broadcast position in that stadium? Uh, do I like the the atmosphere of the arena do i like the city in general i mean like if i could go and do every game in vancouver i probably would um if i could call every game from td garden in boston just the the for whatever reason my eye sees the game really well there um the canadian rinks are all from a broadcast perspective different than the ones in the united states in that they have our announced position so much closer to the arena uh, so much closer to the ice. If you think about where we call the game from on the sixth floor at Capital One and how shallow those stands can be, all of a sudden your point of view is is different. Uh, the new rink in Detroit is exceptional for that. They took the Montreal model and put the announce position basically over the rink. You can reach out and grab Jacob Vrana's Detroit Red Wing helmet now. You feel like it's <laughs> more um, Crying. Favorite, favorite locations. Dear God, like the first time I heard somebody mention Texas Longhorns. I've done Welcome. one game, I've done one game at Royal Stadium. And I mean, like when I was a kid, you heard that fight song when the band played it. And it was it was it was exhilarating to me. And now here I am lucky enough to be calling. It was a it was Texas and North Carolina. This has to be 15 plus years ago. But the first time I met Royal Stadium. Amazing. The first time I ever did a game in Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, was off the charts to me. Uh, you talk about Rock the Red. Every single person was in red, and they would come from miles and miles away in Nebraska to be there on Saturday. I think that stadium becomes like the third largest city in the state on game days, uh, and it's done so for over 40-plus, 50-plus years that they've been sold out constantly. They never they never fail to miss games. Yeah. Uh, I did the Winter Classic a couple of years ago at, at Notre Dame. I mean, holy smokes, to be able to see Touchdown Jesus while I'm calling a hockey game. That was unusual. Yeah. That's that was, such a cool setting there, too. Um, phenomenal. And and to be able to be a part of a, a marquee event for the NHL like that, I was doing that for uh, NHL Network and NHL International. So I had the call around the world that, that Doc would have in, the, in North America or at least in the United States. Those experiences are <laughs> uh, mind-numbing to me, but they're, they, they happen, and I'm lucky enough to have them happen, and I, I pray that I can do them and do them well. Um, I cut my teeth in the Boston Bruins organization, so my first five years in pro hockey were uh, connected to the Bruins in the American Hockey League in Portland, Maine, 
and in Providence. I came to Washington mm. from Providence. So I, I've had experiences of calling games at the old Boston Garden, and there was no announced position closer to the rink than the old Boston Garden. I'm telling you, I, we were situated no more than 20 feet from where Ray Bork was sitting on the Bruins bench. And that probably, you know, memorable, favorite, that was, that's got to be a favorite because it was the f- my first introduction to it all, you know? And it, it's so unique. Everything else, you know, we're on the moon. We're, we're, we're basically a three, you know, a $5 cab ride away from the rink or the field. Um, when you do a game in SEC football, the, the, a touchdown pass to the far pylon, those guys are ants. They're so small and so yeah. far away. <laughs> so cool to do a game in SEC because the the young ladies dress like they're going to uh, a, a black tie event. So, like, you do a game at Ole Miss, you're going to fall in love 400 times on the walk just to the field. <laughs> it's amazing. And they're all dressed like they're going to the Oscars and their Saturday football game. It's there's I, I, I'm blessed. I'm really, really lucky in a lot of different ways. But that Boston Garden experience, the old garden stands out. My first ever NHL game I did at Montreal Forum. That was that was hockey in church. I mean, that was so reverential, that you know, religious-like. Um, the, the, the one that I missed out on that they told me is phenomenal and one of the very, very best, I never had a chance to do Chicago Stadium. So my first year in the NHL, I want to say, was year one or two of United Center, the building that Michael yeah. Jordan helped to create. Yeah. So I never did the Blackhawks in Chicago Stadium. People told me that I'm really missing something. The other original arenas... The original MSG, Maple Leaf Gardens, Boston Garden, uh, Joe Lewis Arena. I didn't, not old enough to have done a game at the Olympia, but Joe Lewis in Detroit. You know the original six kind of franchises. Uh, I did games there, but the one that missed out, I missed out on, was Chicago's Stadium, which is supposed to be off the hook. Man, that's crazy. That's awesome. perfect. That's <laughs> yeah. That's just that's perfect. I I couldn't expect anything less. You even. All over sports, you have like basically views that many people won't ever see. So you probably see the games perfectly. It's awesome. I uh, I yeah, remember those. Pleasure, guys. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. So much. Thank yeah, you. So thank much you so me. much. Thank you so yeah, much you for awesome. for everything. Yeah. It's been um, such an honor. We we can't we can't even begin to express how grateful we are for this. And uh, I know everybody that's gonna listen is gonna thoroughly enjoy all of this and yeah, uh, definitely. We we would we would love to have you back sometime. So <laughs> if you if you're ever Wanting to come back, you know, be our guest. <laughs> don't, don't hesitate, fellas. Pizza's here. Hold the anchovy. <laughs> <laughs>